um, left off uh, before the break. Um, just mentioning here that I somehow managed to use a, or find the backup of my previous representation with a triangle. The triangle that von Mises is famous for. He said there's a magic troika between the inventor, the capitalist, and the entrepreneur. Now, here are the triangles that I've drawn uh, in my interpretation of that model. One thing I forgot to mention was, of course, the instrument, the instrument being the gold bond. Now, I finished um, this widening of the spreads having a certain cause, namely the deterior deterioration of credit. Uh, that could be, well, that could be other causes. Um, under a irredeemable standard, the laws have changed because now the hexagonal model can still be applied. But what changes is this. The ceiling is now determined by marginal productivity of speculation. <laughs> we have seen this in 1980 when the bid for the bid, well the spread was so high that it went up to 18% at 18% almost which was unseen for the last well best part of a few centuries even 18% was enormously high that's when the jitters started and of course that's when you have speculators and the marginal speculator you can envisage that by you know the one with the not so strong hand and um, he starts to unload all of his assets and prices drop you can see that in the market um, you know the weak hands dropping and the prices of the market drop same here the law of marginal productivity of speculation would um, determine the ceiling and the floor not longer dominant because gold coin has disappeared and you cannot well you can withdraw money paper money from your bank but what would that help you you are then jumping into an even worse uh, situation so basically withdrawing money and let your foot, feet do the walking and the talking to your bank is not going to help. In fact, they don't even listen to you, they cannot even listen to you. There is the marginal, this time the law of marginal liquidity preference or the yield curve um, as it was explained yesterday is now at work and this goes to as low as almost zero. <coughs> I've drawn here yesterday the yield curve. Why is the yield curve like this under an irredeemable standard? And what would it look like under a gold standard? Under a paper money standard, this is the yield curve. <coughs> under a gold standard, it would be flat. Because one ounce is one ounce is one ounce. It would be flat or flat earth? Flat. 
there would be a little glimpse. But for all intents and purposes, it's flat. And the little blips would be taken care of with a, a reconsolidation fund or a sinking fund or any kind of fund that would take care of the little blips. Pretty constant. And that you can see, in fact, if you have this book about the history of interest rates, written by um, uh, Professor Homer Silla, I think. You can see it, he makes, I mean, it's not my uh, investigation, I'm just not pulling this out of thin air. He made an investigation into the um, Victorian era in Britain under a gold standard, and, and rates were pretty soon. Is it rising a little bit? Every 25 years it goes a bit up or it goes a bit down or, you know. There may be something happening in like an earthquake and then it goes up. I'm not sure we're talking about the same thing. I'm not saying that over time, in the 1870s, the rate is the same as 1880, but is the rate on a two-year bond the same as the rate on a ten-year bond? Yes. Then why wouldn't you just lend on a two-year bond then? Why lock up your money for ten for no greater rate? Yeah. There would be, I mean, you would be pretty safe, especially with sinking funds, and you can loan your money on 30 years. It's as safe as, it, as, as loaning it on, on, on five years. You're still locking it up, though. Yes, depends on your role. Do you need it or do you don't need it? Where are you in this scheme? You may be the young annuitant, and okay, you are hoping for capital gains in 30 years. I think generally, if you lend your money out for 10 years, there might be a slightly greater risk that you don't get it back. Yeah. So there might be a little bit of a. Well, that and the risk that you don't think you'll need it for 10 years today. Oh. The next year something happens, you get cancer, and now you need, you need to get it back. That's the human condition. Uncertainty. Let's, so let's not get. You sell it easily. So it's probably not much of an issue. Bit of time preference. You still get a little bit. We'll come back to that, but uh, I, would, I would really like to get um, stuck into a little exercise which is, is a very important point. And, Please hold that question, because I will come back to it. Um, I would love just to finish this. The instrument has changed to ir irredeemable note or ir irredeemable debt. Now, for this slide, which is um, a slide that explains a few things, what the impact is of dropping rates. Now, I have to do a little exercise, and uh, I come back to what I've written yesterday. I'm going to do a little accounting exercise. The professor says, well, dropping interest rates under an irredeemable currency is damaging, and very damaging, especially if it keeps on. You can... I mean, most people don't get it. <clears throat> if you want to know why, 
I'll take you through a little accounting exercise with the help of an example, the example of the tractor. I've read that example of the sticker price of the tractor and I run a little bit with it. I can switch this off if you like, but look, please, for a second, listen to um, this expose. You have an idea. You're an entrepreneur. You have found a little farm and you are in need of a new tractor. Last year in Budapest, we've seen what the bid and the ask spread is on consumables and in this case the consumable the consumer of the tractor is you the farmer and we've seen how the the price of um, the tractor comes to fruition you, you know bid ask spread there and, and who's doing what now you think you are a smart uh, entrepreneur you need to sit down and do a little calculation you have X amount of acres, you're going to grow beans and you need a tractor because it's you know, much lighter to do that with a tractor than by hand. You know that the tractor is designed for 20 years lifetime. And it doesn't matter if you make jokes about French or German engineering, 20 years is design lifetime. It will last you 20 years and you are hoping to get for your beans in 20 years each crop 50 which would in 20 years give you thousands. That is what, I mean that's a small exercise, that's what you hope. Um, what then would be and I'm trying to ar arrive at the price, the maximum price that you should pay for your tractor. Because if you are going to pay for your tractor that much, that you could actually take that much money and put it in the bank and end up with more than a thousand in the bank, then you know, you're silly. Don't get sweaty and don't get gray hair and uh, you know, don't do the farming, just go to the bank. So you need to know what's the break-even there and what is the maximum price I need to pay for that tractor. The formula is the same always. Present value of the tractor. I'm going to call this amount A. One plus... In fact, it should be I, the rate of interest and the number of periods. And that's a minus sign. We have everything. That's 1,000. And we know if we go and borrow or lease that with the bank, we're going to pay 8%. 1 plus 0.8. And that's T, 20 periods, 20 times a crop. Okay, the math genius, where, where are they? Who is already got solution? Don't worry. I know, I've, I've done this yesterday. <laughs> Peter, that assumes you get a good thousand at the end. Um, look, yes, okay. I know all the financial guys here. Uh, um, 
I know. I'm trying to keep this as simple as possible. Um, of course, we are assuming a lot here. But for the benefit of the people who will watch the video and for the benefit of the people who are not familiar with uh, too intricate uh, present value calculations, this will clear up later when I'm finished why you should be or shouldn't be uh, in business and why a dropping interest rate is having an impact on present values and also on present value of your bond. Look, I started. What is the maximum price that you should be paying for your tractor? I think if I worked it out yesterday, I may be wrong. But, um, it's, I think it's 246 points. Well, it's 246. Which means that if you go and pay 246 in the bank, right now get an 8% interest in 20 years, you'll end up with 1,000. Everybody with me? Because that's what this says. So if you're paying more than 248, you've overpaid. You should have put your money in the bank and in 20 years, without getting gray hair, well, okay, after 20 you might get gray hair, but without getting sweaty and without doing the work, you will end up with the same capital as, as, as if you would have worked. So obviously you're trying to get this price down, but this is your maximum price. This is your break-even point. Everybody with me? Don't pay more for this tractor or you're silly. Friday night you go to the bank. It's a, it's a Saturday evening. You go to the dealership, you got the finance from the bank and you sign the contract. Fine. Please deliver me tomorrow, 1st of January. That's assuming it's not a holiday, but please deliver me tomorrow that tractor. You have signed. You are committed to pay the capitalist 8% on his investment. And you are going to run with this idea and with a tractor, you are going to yield a certain return from that land. And you have a neighbor on the right who's got exactly the same amount of land and who's got the same amount of sunshine and rain and we'll make it very simple. And he's also have the same idea of, of, of growing beans and he's done the same calculation. The only thing is, he's got a different calculation. He's expecting a thousand in 20 years, but he has to pay eight to the capital as a remuneration. He's got to pay one percent to the entrepreneur himself and 1% also as a remuneration to the manager. So that would be 1.1. Also over 20 years, which means that his calculation will be different. What is he going to pay for that tractor? Knowing that his weighted average cost of capital is different. I've done the calculation for you, it's 140 something. Lower. Uh, don't shoot me down on the maths, I've, I don't have my spreadsheets here. It is lower. So, knowing the law of bidding something up and what you should you be bidding, well, 
here, professor, I think I offer this as a solution to why the present values are not, or the, the present values of different entrepreneurs are different. And prices of the tractor, of the asset, are not bid up to where there is no more room. They're not bid up to break even because we have a different cost of capital. And of course, that's only one factor. If he's got better land, he's got a different structure um, of, of, of yield as well. So I'm offering this as a possible solution as to why prices in the theory of uh, formation of, of interest are not built up to the maximum. Because the bidders are the ones who, taking, um, who, who determine the marginal. The marginal one is, is the one you're is, is paying the most, of course. And if he's really stupid, he's going really high. So, 31st of January, so 31st of December, you signed 1st of January, your tractor comes in. <coughs> Remember? We're now speaking not about the gold standard, but about a central bank. Who decides to give everybody a nice present and the amounts on the radio just after you've taken delivery and you have made an entry in your books. And we made the books, assets here, liabilities there. One brand new tractor <coughs> and one contract on my shoulders to pay it off. And they're equal. Right? Assets and liabilities are equal in, in accounting. And you take a cup of coffee, you switch on the radio, and what do you hear? A rate drop uh, was announced. And you see uh, on CNN or on your television that the local economics professor is cheering us up. Wow, fantastic. But of course, you've taken your cup of coffee and you've burnt. You've burnt your lips because you, couldn't, you can't believe this is not a present. You could, you, your neighbor who was doing this different calculation and who refused to pay the uptick in price that you have bid, you have bid him and you, know, you signed the contract. You have another neighbor who has done the same calculation in the same land and now he says, well, the interest rate has dropped. Fine, I can take I can take this business to the dealership and he buys the same John Deere tractor that you've got, only a lot cheaper. His yield is the same. Now what does that mean? Some people say, okay, if there are if you drop an interest rate means that it is not good for you, then you have to explain this to me. Well, I'll explain this to you, because your neighbor... You mean a rise in interest rates? A rise or, or, or a drop could be... It it's, doesn't even matter. Let it, let's, let's do the exercise for the neighbor on the other side. You have a left-hand neighbor, you have a right-hand neighbor. The right-hand neighbor, he's now taking the offer, and he's going to the dealership, and he's signing with the bank, and he gets his brand new tractor, only a lot cheaper. He takes delivery and does, does his accounts and makes the entry. Of course, because he paid less and he gets the same yield because it's the same land, he's a lot more profitable. 
you are committed to pay capital 8%. I don't know what the other um, neighbor uh, is committed to pay. Let's say this was a, uh, only 4%. Well, let's assume, I mean, that, that, that gives him a lot of room to maneuver. What does that do on your balance sheet? Well, you, you've just taken delivery of nothing. You sign. You cannot say, because interest rates have increased or decreased, that your liabilities have increased or decreased, because you signed for that amount, they will say. Now, you can argue with that. But I'll show you where it hits. It's not on your balance sheet, it's on your PL where it hits. Why? Why does it hit you in your profit and loss? You may still be profitable and your neighbor base may still be more profitable, so what? You can you can you think you can make it? Well, I think if I'm not mistaken, the professor will come to the story of the ratchet and the linkage with prices. If interest rates go up, prices go up as well in linkage with it. We will probably still see that, I hope, I think, yeah. It's an observable phenomenon. You, you can argue with me, but I mean, then you have to disprove the facts that were observed, even by Keynes, I believe. So, on every side of the line, um, they don't disprove or they, they cannot deny that there is a link between interest rates and prices. Now, interest rate was announced, your neighbor has taken it. What will this do eventually on your profit and loss? I'll tell you, prices of beans will go down. And your assumption here, and I'm coming back to Louis of course, your assumptions of your profitability are now wrong. Because your beans will not be 50 anymore, you will, they will eventually drop. And instead of 9,000, uh, 9, uh, it goes down to 950. Your overall profitability. Feed the 950 into the simple formula and you know what this is going to do because anything that changes here will have an impact here. You see? If you have bid up to the maximum, an interest rate increase is going to kill you, just as well as an interest rate drop, because you're taking the hit there. We'll do the exercise with an interest rate increase, but first I'll take the interest rate drop, because that is far more uh, hidden. The interest rate drop will make sure that the yield eventually is 950, so everything changes here. Um, I'm not going to do the math, I don't, I don't have enough space here anyway. But obviously, your neighbor is able, much more able, with a lower interest rate to take that hit than you are, because you are at the limit. In fact, the only way out for you when interest rate drops, or when interest rate drop, the only way to repair the damage would be for you to have a little bit more land. I mean, you, you can renegotiate, you can try renegotiate your interest 
work with your banker on your lease. Good luck with that. And he, maybe he comes up and says, well, fine, we'll drop it, but um, I'm going to increase this by another five years. And if you're stupid enough, you say, yes, thank you very much. Please note that your tractor has a design lifetime of 20 years and not 25. The other five years you're going to be doing the digging yourself. So that's not a solution, trying to bring this down. What you need, you have been damaged. What you need is another piece of land, hoping that the tractor will do that little bit more land, so you can grow a little bit more beans, so this your return will be back to a thousand, so that you finally make your, uh, your repayment to the capitalist. Do you see this? Because I see blank faces. <laughs> the only way out for you is more land. That's not a way out either, because that costs money. Ah, yes. Or kill your competitor. <laughs> there's a, there's a, yeah, well, take his land. That would be a solution. But in law, we have something like, you know, whoever caused the damage must pay for the damage. Now, under a gold standard, you have a little, well, you have little interest rate variation, and you could, from reserves, rent a little bit more land and try to make this up. You know, this is your sinking fund. But we don't. We're not under a gold standard. So um, the sinking fund, maybe your reserves, which means that you go and dig out of your own pocket and rent or buy more land, so you can meet your obligations to the capitalist. But that means, out of, all of a sudden, you know, you've been hit because you've got to work harder and more, you need to cultivate more land. In fact, the drop of the interest rates has damaged you. And the damage was caused by whom? A bureaucrat. Thank you very much. Can you sue him? <laughs> you can try. In fact, this tracker story, you can convince a good judge, and you probably can convince him. And then, although he's convinced, you are going to find out that there is some, something called immunity for central bankers. <laughs> Okay, well, what does this story mean? When interest rates drop, you are taking it in your profit and loss account. If you are not getting a check from the government for every time the interest rates drop, and you're not receiving a check to buy more land with that, you're taking it on the chip. And eventually you'll go out of business. This is what the professor has been saying all along. And of course, there are objections. Yeah, well, you know, if interest rates go up, then the price of an asset goes down. So whatever, you know. At the end of the year, you're supposed to do an inventory. As a good business, you do an inventory, and you have to buy or value that inventory, both assets and liabilities. Fine, interest rates move. You can make adaptations. The problem is, getting this accepted because, I mean, <laughs> you cannot convince, probably not your accountant, and certainly not your tax inspector, that you need to up that liability here. 
That's the problem. That's the problem. There's a flaw in the accounting law, and that's not only one. There's more. Um, but this point is very important to make, so that I want you to please get this. It took me a while before I got it. Maybe you're smarter than I am. Um, probably are. But, um, it's not very visible, this process of, uh, of, of deterioration of capital. And even under a gold standard, your, your capital is also deteriorating because you need to make it productive. Uh, and certainly, under a paper standard, the erosion of capital is so much faster if interest rates vary and if they push down, you know, you probably are not going to make it out of reserves. That is the point I was trying to make because now we come back to this chart. What's the time? We're over time. Two more minutes. This is what I meant with the original chart. If interest rates move, you have a profitable business at, well, I've made it here, 3.8%. But if interest rates move, your weighted average cost of capital is still the same while that of your competitor is different and you are marginalized with this process here. When this line moves up and down, you've had it. Not directly, but in a while. And that, I think, is why you need to make, to have, well, this formula is important, the present value uh, formula is important. You can, I mean, some of you are now, you have taken courses, I hope, on present value, future value, annuities, uh, accumulated interest. Um, if you don't, this is the only thing that you need to understand. I had one more slide. Now, this is the traditional model, and I promise we will not uh, go too much over time. Um, I want to compare this hexagonal model to something traditional. What's wrong with the traditional analysis? What does it say? Anatomy of balance sheet recessions made by uh, a company called Nomura. Well, due credit to Nomura, they've made a fine chart. Um, they're not responsible for the Keynesian model that's depicted here, but let's, let's go, go through this. So, uh, on the top we see the original money flow. Okay, we all get jitters here. Private sector bought assets with borrowed funds. Okay, we know that. Next step, fall in asset prices. Oh, really? Maybe if interest rates went up. If interest rates go up, prices will fall. So where do they get this fall in, interest, in asset prices? Maybe it is, maybe they're, you know, I haven't read the entire uh, book. But maybe, okay, fine, let's see, you know. Let's read the following things. But you need to know already, put a question mark with this. Balance sheet problems develop. Repair balance sheets. Yeah, 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 we know repair balance sheets, but how? Private sector moves away from profit maximization to debt minimization. Probably. Nothing wrong with that. 
So the private sector pays down debt, very good. Fall in aggregate demand, well, probably. No demand for funds. Ah, wrong. Why is that wrong? No demand for funds. What does that mean? The company Dem demand for money. For demand for money and credit. For the company? Yes. In a recession, the demand for money is high. Just because you need to pay down debt. Everybody's trying to collect money, even banks. This is wrong. Oh, here's a good one. We can't go over time here. Fiscal stimulus. What, what do we know about the interference of the fiscal? What do we know about taxation? I'll go back to the drawing here. Anything that interferes with taxation, taxation will, have, will hit and it will widen the spread, it will diminish the productivity. Your model decreases in efficiency because the means of uh, finding maximum employment for all participants is diminished because these people are short of income they are low of income and they're entering into, uh, remember, they're entering in, they have the, they pay the surplus income to the inventor or to the um, entrepreneur. But I mean, diminishing the minute, the, these means that you can pay to this very uh, good troika of entrepreneur, inventor and capitalist, if you diminish those means, then you diminish the, the, the efficiency of labor and of capital. And you run with the taxation, and what does what, what really do with this? Bang! They're sort of what? Breaking the vicious cycle. I'm sorry. I mean, the fiscal st the, the fisc is the cause of the vicious cycle. I'm, I'm not um, anti-taxation as such, but I'm taking the model to its logical limits would mean that zero taxation uh, would be the ideal, would be the best. Let's not go there as to zero taxation. That's, that is a different story. I don't believe in that either. I'm a realist also. But the um, problem with fiscal stimulus is that there's no money. I mean, if, if the ah, yeah. state stimulating fiscally the economy have excess money and stimulating the economy with it, yes, that would break the cycle temporarily. But it's not it they have to borrow. It shows, it shows how, how difficult of a machine they've constructed with this irredeemable currency and irredeemable debt. This is a picture I took from my college book in 1983-4, giving away my age here. And um, it says here, machine designed to show the working of the economic system. Fantastic. I stick to my hexagonal model, I understand that. If you stick to this Keynesian machine, because it comes out of um, a book on Keynesianism, unfortunately, then this is what is going to happen to you. You burn 
And with that, we're nine minutes over time, but um, I hope you've enjoyed and learned something from this insight into the workings of um, the interest rate variations. Very important on your balance sheet, and don't believe the Keynesians. Thank you.